Hello and welcome to Duelist Unity Movie Review, Episode 7. I am here now. Beyond that, I don't really know, but uh, it's been fun sort of figuring that out or at least letting go of all the additional things that I ever thought that I was outside of here and now. And I am very excited about the form of my mortality. I'm very excited about being human as a whole, all of the things that go with it, the experience of suffering, the experience of pleasure, the experience of connection, even the fear of death, it all makes a very rich tapestry that we call life. And when you stop resisting it and just embrace it, you start to see the beauty of it. And the reason I say that is because this movie, for this movie review, I think is all about the appreciation of what life is. So without any further ado, the movie this week is Bicentennial Man, which came out in 1999. It stars Robin Williams, M. Beth Davids, Sam Neill, and Oliver Platt. This movie is fantastic. When I first watched this movie, I was, I think, 19, 20 years old, and I was just coming to the recognition of, of my own awareness, and I was really trying to come to a place where I appreciated my life more because I was so far down at the farther end of the spectrum in terms of like depression and self-loathing and whatnot. And so this movie really communicated a beauty that I didn't find I was able to appreciate in my own day-to-day -day life. And so it inspired a lot of insights for me at that time. So I'm very excited to share this with our listener. And of course, with Andrew, I thought it was quite funny that of course, the main character in this movie is actually named Andrew, which of course I had forgotten until I watched the movie this time around. Uh, so I won't get any further into my thoughts right now, but Andrew, I'm very curious as to what you thought of specifically the first third of the movie, which I, I always think of this movie in, in thirds in terms of the first third being very much his time with the Martin family. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you gave me that because I didn't really know where we should start this because there's so, so many uh, insights and, and symbolism and I have a massive page of notes and I was trying to figure out where where exactly to go starting out but yeah I think I think that situation there was a lot of interesting relationships going on and just the expression of how everyone kind of accepted Andrew or didn't accept Andrew into the family was more or less symbolic of how they accepted reality and how they accepted their life and, and how not just how they did, but the way in which they did as well. And and so, you know, you have the dad who is very intrigued by Andrew, I would say very, very interested um, and also very caring of Andrew. But there was there were still some some hesitation, some barriers, not fully, fully accepting him, but accepting him to a degree. Um, the wife a little bit more or mother, a little bit more, you know, hesitant about what was going on, the impact maybe on her family, seeing him as an outsider, the older sister who just didn't accept Andrew at all. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> just, uh, yeah, not, and you saw it in a very early scene telling him to jump out the window, just very much not seeing him as strictly an animate object and and not anything that had anything close to something that resembled life or anything that should be respected um and then finally you have little miss who fully accepted andrew saw him 
for what he was, you know, the depth of what he was as reality, no differently than she was, um, not as this thing that was different and therefore scary and therefore should be judged and therefore shouldn't be accepted, uh, but just saw him for what he was in the moment, you know, what he embodied in each and every moment. And so I think just seeing all the different members of the family relate to Andrew in different ways was very much indicative of the ways that they related with reality and, and themselves. Absolutely. One of the things that I caught this time around was that Andrew, when he starts his journey, is very much what a lot of humans would like to be in terms of being invulnerable, being hyper-intelligent, not really being in any danger of pain or suffering. But the problem is, is that he's so cut off, he doesn't feel things in the same way that humans do. He doesn't have that vulnerability and thus he doesn't have that experience of connection. And so it's very interesting as Andrew is developing and you see him when he's watching Mr. Martin and his wife play chess and he gets how to win the game immediately. And there's almost a part of him that marvels at why are they even playing? Right. And this is something he doesn't quite understand. And it's interesting because as intelligent as he is in terms of processing data and concepts and being self-reliant, again, he can fix himself. He can do pretty much anything, as you can see, as he processes new problems. Despite all of that, it's the little contradictions that make Andrew wonder. It's the little things about human life that make him curious, like laughter, for example. What is that? Where does that come from? And I love the scene in the movie where Mr. Martin is trying to explain humor to Andrew, because how would you do that? How would you explain humor as something other than a concept to be memorized? And it's such a very interesting transition that Andrew goes through, but there's a lot of that. There, there's a lot of moments where Andrew almost ceases being hyper-intelligent for the sake of enthusiastic curiosity. Like the exchange with Mr. Martin about, good night, Andrew. Good night. Well, what's the appropriate response? Well, good night. So all of a sudden they're saying good night, back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, well, when does this end? Exactly, right? That's one of those things. And so Andrew is getting more and more a perspective of what it is to be more of a machine, despite the fact that he can't really understand that. And his journey through this movie is so interesting in that it is so slow because it's so stretched out over time, right? So the 20 years that he spent with the Martin family were very much his toddler years. In a lot of ways, he was just learning how to think about himself, how to interact with the world. And as that progresses, he starts to become more familiar with the concept of freedom. And his emotions have developed more at this point, but he's still largely cut off because he's still very much the product of his programming, which he says numerous times. You know, a robot cannot tell a lie, for example. It's part of my programming. And his journey beyond that is, is really quite a thing. But it's interesting that you bring up Mr. Martin's resistance to Andrew being a sentient and equal being because he does love Andrew and you can see he's very intrigued by Andrew and he even says I feel a responsibility to help you become whatever it is you want to be but there's that line where it's like in order to admit that Andrew is an equal sentient being 
we have to admit that humanity isn't the only sentient being, that being human in, in itself doesn't make me special. And I think that's where Mr. Martin got caught, which is why when he did finally grant Andrew his freedom, he made him go away, right? And I think that was also partly because he felt abandoned by Andrew. That comfort of knowing he owned Andrew meant that Andrew would never leave. And so when Andrew asking for his freedom, especially after both of his kids had moved out, I think it was more of an emotional response that made him push Andrew away, which again, he regretted towards the end. Yeah, I saw that discomfort as another strong symbolism is just, you know, Andrew, I guess, embodied the discomfort that he felt. And so rather than facing it and Mr. Martin trying to understand it, he just pushed it away. Just like, you know, when, when you tell someone something that makes them uncomfortable, push them, urge them to question something that they believe to be the truth that they cling to, you know, uh, false certainty that they cling to, they get very uncomfortable. And rather than questioning that discomfort, they just push it away. And so I saw just that action that he took is, is very much symbolic of pushing away the discomfort that you don't want to face in your own life. Because as much as he did see Andrew as seemed like, you know, I don't know exactly how he saw him, but he saw he did love him and he did care about him. He didn't you know, push him away or, or try to completely avoid him like you know the older daughter did and and the mother to a degree i think did as well but there was still it showed that there was still that line that uh he wasn't willing to accept him for what he was and and so that whole kind of first part of the movie and and the development it's funny cuz yesterday we were talking about you know babies and and what babies would be like if they were just grown up and and how babies come into the world and don't see themselves as, as divided, but they don't necessarily have the experiences or understanding to interact with the world. And I, so I saw Andrew's development early on as kind of almost like coming into the world with all of the intelligence, but not having the development and, and the process of understanding your environment at all so that's why you couldn't understand things like like humor and the and the timing that came with it and it just shows the importance of kind of slowly developing over time and not necessarily getting to a place where you're so like fully intelligent without the nuance of understanding that comes with that intelligence and the pitfalls of having raw intelligence without all of those experiences and so you mentioned that early on andrew is kind of the epitome of what a lot of people want to be, you know, they want to be able to do things super well, super quickly, not be swayed so much by their emotions, not even just like not feel as much. A lot of people want to get to a point where they're, they're not as emotional. They're not that they're fully numb, but they don't like that certain emotions sway them in certain ways. And it just shows the importance of that throughout, I mean, throughout the entire movie, but we have certain preferences about, oh, I, I want to feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. And the reality is that you can't feel, you know, all of the positives without all of the negative emotions. And I think the entire movie is a great display of that, but early on, he's not able to feel as much and feeling things is an entire spectrum. You can't have just certain aspects of the spectrum that you prefer 
to feel. So in, in the case of Andrew, where it's either he feels nothing to being able to feel more things, he is all in on being able to feel more things. And it just goes to show the importance of being able to experience all those things and having that balance of intelligence with emotions and experience and being able to you know, understand kind of the unspoken things that and ways of communication that we have as, as humans. And I think that's very much the second third of this movie is Andrew stepping away from everybody and really digging into his own journey, trying to look for another robot that is like him, for example, but that's on that same level, having to face that perhaps he's the only one. And so you can see over the 20 years that Andrew is traveling around, that would be quite an emotional journey. Each and every time you find a possibility and it doesn't turn out to be what you're looking for, there would be some frustration. There would be a lot of emotion that would go with that entire search for the recognition that you're not alone in who you are. And so I find just in that, and it's not a huge part of the movie, admittedly, it goes by fairly quickly, but those 20 years make such a difference to Andrew because just before that, of course, Richard Martin dies. And before that, Andrew actually has the ability to express more emotion on his face. He pays for that upgrade. And it's largely the result of Little Miss growing up and getting married. And so you see all of this background processing. And I think one of the parts of the movie that actually caught my attention this time was when Little Miss came down to tell Andrew that she was going to get married to, I think his name was Frank. And Andrew is just like, oh, well, that's really interesting, not understanding that it's that is him that she cares about, that she's talking about him throughout all that. And he's like, well, the answer is simple. You know, marry your friend, right? To him, that's just, that's the simplest thing. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And she's trying to explain, like, there's more to it. There's complexity there, you know? And he doesn't recognize that because he's very, he's still very simple. But I think deep down, he knew that she loved him and he loved her to a very large degree because when he does have his face upgraded, you see him at the wedding and he's smiling until she walks away. And that's the thing about emotion is that you can show more of your joy, but you will also show more of your sorrow, right? So all of a sudden now, Andrew is a, is a bit more vulnerable because he's actually displaying how he feels. And then on top of that, Mr. Martin allows him to continue to buy clothing, which is a huge sign of his freedom and another sign of his increasing equality, which is how he would take it. So finally, after Martin, after Mr. Martin dies and Andrew just says, okay, I'm going to go and travel around, he's doing so fulfilled in himself to a very large degree. Like I have clothing, I am my own person, I, am my, I have my freedom, because of course he gets that from Mr. Martin. And that entire journey, again, changes him to the point where at the end of it, when he does return home and he sees Galatea, the other robot who is designed to look female, he is way more emotional. You can actually see in his conversation that he is easier going about things. He expresses his humor. He talks to people freely. But... There's none of that hesitation because he knows he's free and he, he and he has known he's free for 20 years. So I'm very excited about that part of the journey, even though, again, it didn't take up much of the movie. Yeah, for sure. And and going back real quick to the scene where Little Miss tells him that she's getting married and 
how how simple of a response he has. Like, well, of course, just marry your friend. And it just goes to show like how most of the things we go through, obviously there's a lot of complexity, but when you get down to the root of it, most things are pretty simple. It's like, well, I really feel like I I should do this or I want to do this, but you know, there's all of these things. There's these societal expectations. There's these concern, like this judgment from family and friends and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you can take all of that into account, absolutely. But where is your priority? And if your priority is you and your existence and your happiness, most of the answers are pretty damn simple. Like when, when they come down to it. So it it just, I don't know, makes, makes me wonder how many things in our lives that we just make so much more complex than they actually are because we consider so many of the uh, sort of societal expectations that, that go along with every decision that we make and how much more free we can feel when we don't take as many of those into account, because at the end of the day, they don't matter as much to our experience um but anyway so getting back to uh yeah as as he develops as he takes that journey and finds that freedom in it's himself he's able to express himself more and and show more of i don't know i guess like his his true nature um underneath all of the programming and whatnot and i think with that kind of similar to the last point like he has less less regard for the way that he should be and and be it should be based on society but at the same time should be based on his programming like he he's programmed to be a certain way so that's kind of his should the way he should act and as he recognizes that he can take different paths that he can experience different things that he is free in himself he starts to express himself more he isn't so hinged and and hesitant based on all of that should be it, you know, the way society, the way humans take it typically is the way society thinks you should act. But for him, it was very much his intrinsic programming, but he was able to sort of break through a lot of those things. And through that, we saw him express himself in so many different ways and and be able to do so many more things and interact with the world in so many new ways when he recognized that he didn't have to be a slave to that programming anymore. And as he took different directions that weren't necessarily programmed into him. He was able to experience so much more and achieve so much more and, and do so many more things in the world as he let go of all of those shoulds. Absolutely. And I think a big part of that was when Mr. Martin gave him his freedom. And for the first time in Andrew's life, he stopped referring to himself as one and said, I am glad to be of service. And that was where Andrew's mentality changed. And he really took that journey of 20 years to discover exactly how much he was in that. And that's why I find it so very interesting that at the end of that journey, when he meets Galatea, he's funny. Like in that moment, he's just like, oh, he's basically checking her out, which is kind of funny. But he's really interested in meeting Rupert Burns, who is her creator. And Rupert Burns has been working on a way to help Andrew without even knowing it, because Andrew is at the limit of his growth in his current form. He really can't learn much more about being human until he becomes more like a human. And so it's perfect timing that he runs into Rupert, 
who is developing the ability for Andrew to look basically like a human being, but only in appearance. It's only externally. Andrew still cannot feel physically. He still has no senses in terms of you know, taste and touch and sound and all that other stuff, right? It's just an external change, but it allows the people he talks to to see less of a division between them and him. And so now he has more of an ability to learn more about being human because he's being accepted more as being human. And so he's even deeper in the game, which is requiring more from him in terms of emotion, in terms of response. There's more confusion in Andrew, which you see almost immediately once he gets his upgrade and he goes to visit Little Miss and he meets her granddaughter who looks like her and he's very confused and he's not dealing with it with any grace. You'll notice all of Andrew's previous composure is gone. He is now thoroughly in the experience of confusion and he's feeling disconnected and everything has changed because of the old expression that you can't go home. And so now he's in a new environment with a new body, a new perspective of himself and all of the experience that led him up to that. And he's still feeling uncertain. And that's when we go into the third portion of this movie, which to me starts with the death of Little Miss. Because it's in that, even though Andrew has accomplished so much in terms of narrowing that gap between him and humanity, there is this one major gap that he still cannot conquer, which is the fact that he will not die. He almost hasn't wanted to face this since Mr. Martin died. And now with the death of Little Miss, it's abundantly clear. And he says, will everyone I care for just leave? And that's the reality of immortality. If you were here forever, you would see everything else fade away. And that's where immortality loses its luster with emotion, with empathy, with connection, with love. Right? The idea of immortality sounds great as a concept, but as a reality, it's isolated and cold and alone. And that's what Andrew started to discover with the loss of his one truest friend, Little Miss. Yeah, and so that that idea, and I knew we were going to get get into this of eternity, immortality, and all of that. The the thing that we so many humans desire, it's like their their goal is to be become immortal and figure out a way to just live forever. And and you just see it in our progression. You know, of a couple hundred years ago, we were living to thirty or forty, and now we're living to eighty or ninety or a hundred. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with living longer, but at the same time, there's always going to be repercussions to that. And so you see it with uh, with him recognizing and asking, is everything, everyone I know going to fade away? Um, and and so you, it's, one, it's kind of one or the other. And if you're mortal, you see everything fade away as you fade away. And then if you're immortal, it's like you see everything fade away as you remain. And so there's going to be consequences. There's pros and cons to both. And we think because, again, we think, as I've said many times, a lot of people think that death is objectively bad, you know, in the conversation of, of good and bad. It's like, well, what's, what's objectively bad? Well, death is objectively bad. It's like, okay, well, what's the alternative? And that's kind of what we get to experience for most of the movie with Andrew is, is the consequences of not dying 
And, and so you kind of see the necessity and, and the benefits of, of death. And even you see it with Portia later on that, you know, they're talking about death and, and Andrew's been able to come up with so many inventions that keep people alive, the DNA elixir, you know, new organs that a lot of society is now using to prolong their life. And, and he is still immortal at that point. And Portia expresses to him that, you know, that, that sounds amazing, but I'm, I don't want to be here forever. I don't necessarily want to, to be immortal. And she has a couple quotes that I, I don't remember exactly, but something along the lines of it's, it's human to pass on. It's, it's kind of a necessity to continue on. And so I think Andrew kind of begins to realize that maybe it's not about being here forever and there's going to be consequences and, and to subject, he's almost trying to subject Portia to the same thing that he's facing being his immortality and, and he's trying to get her to join him so it's not as scary and alone and she basically refuses and that's when he starts to think about things differently and then think that maybe immortality isn't the best thing isn't that interesting right because that next transition that he makes towards developing organs and developing basically biological parts isn't for him it's for humans. It's not his fear of death. He's afraid of being alone while everybody else dies. And so his, his urge is to keep them alive. It just happens to blur the line where it transitions over to him as well. It makes him more biological, which allows him to get a central nervous system, which really breaks open one of the last gateways for Andrew. Sensation, feeling, and all of the emotional spectrum that goes with that. And that's an amazing experience for him, but it changes everything. All of a sudden, he's so close to being human that he might as well just be human. He feels human and he's with the person he loves. So he has everything he wants. And now he has a way to keep her alive and everything he wants there. So everything's going great for Andrew at this point, except for the inevitability of death that Portia will inevitably come to and say, this should happen. But instead of looking at that at first, Andrew thinks, well, I have to fix the problem of us not being accepted as a couple. And so I'm going to go and get the world to approve of me as a human being so we can be together. And that's when he hits the wall, the final wall. You are immortal and humanity will never accept an immortal human. And in that moment, he has to make a choice of either admitting that he's a machine or letting go of the one thing that has been certain in his entire existence, which is that he was immortal and would never die. He had to let that go, which is why I think it's so interesting when he's finally having that, that last uh, upgrade done that will basically make him age. He asks Rupert, like, so how long do I have? Expecting a certain answer. And Rupert's like, I don't know, 30, 40 years. You know, welcome to the human condition. And that is Andrew's final upgrade, uncertainty. Now he's fully human. He experiences everything like we do, including the inevitability of death. And because of that, the rest of his life, I think, was even more fulfilling because he had everything he wanted 
everything except again the approval of the world which is why i think it's even even at the end of the movie that approval wasn't for andrew it was for portia he didn't even hear the approval and he didn't need to yeah that that scene um where he was getting the final procedure really hit me because you kind of go through the process you get to experience as the as the watcher of the movie what it would be like to be immortal and and kind of go out the other end and realize oh maybe that's not it maybe that's not the ultimate prize the ultimate answer to all of this is avoiding death and it's so funny that he goes through you know he starts out as just raw intelligence something that everyone desires and ends with something that everyone fears ends with implementing the thing that people fear most being the fear of death he actually gets a procedure to guarantee that he will die but again doesn't know when and and can't be certain about it and and i love that well i don't know 30 40 years or so and he's like what that's that's pretty vague there doctor he says something like that and and that's that's just it like we don't know and even 30 to 40 years is uncertain because it could be any any given day that it happens and so that one really really hit home and and through those next those last few scenes in the movie of just going back and forth between you know what what am i what what can i be can i be a human and just really telling of what it means to be human and one of the cores of our experience is the experience of death and yet it's something that we all fear and and want to avoid and it's pretty normal for us to do so i guess but at the same time it's the thing that gives us an appreciation for the experiences that we have every single day without it as we've said it would be cold and and lonely and there wouldn't be so much vibrance to this experience without the inevitability of the end which andrew you know finally realizes and so he actually inflicts that upon himself he chooses to die and and in that he finally recognizes the the reality of uncertainty and in that experience like that being the core of our reality of reality itself is uncertainty he's finally able to experience what that would be like and to him it makes perfect sense like he he's been thinking about this for 200 years he's been going through lessons and and going through the insight over and over and over again that what makes logical sense isn't always what's best which is why i think it's funny in that scene where rupert says ah be human long enough and eventually you'll do something monumentally stupid in terms of him being willing to die and yet andrew is doing possibly the most intelligent thing that he can think of in choosing to die and despite rupert knowing andrew for so long creating all of those robotics with him knowing andrew is a fucking genius he still thinks it's kind of stupid that andrew wants to die and i find that really funny because andrew learned something very important from portia in doing the wrong thing and not always listening to what's logically sound in following your heart and following your feelings there's more than just concept and andrew learned that more and more and more until finally the only thing that was important to him was the feeling he had with portia right and that was it logic be damned this was 
the crescendo of his story. This was it. And what a beautiful ending it was. More so even because, and I find this funny, there was a point earlier in, in the movie where Andrew is getting a little frustrated with Galatea, who was programmed to have a personality chip. And at one point he's like, do you have an impact drill? And he just takes off and you hear her screaming. And then later on in the movie, her programming has changed. All of a sudden she goes off on Rupert, like I'm tired of doing your bitch work. And it's a funny moment, but Galatea changed in that moment. And at the end of the movie, the nurse was Galatea and she was feeling emotion. So one has to wonder if when Andrew changed her programming, if somehow he gave her the same experience that he was having. Yeah, because there was a point, right, where they mentioned it's like the personality versus the intelligence chip. And so Andrew had the intelligence chip and she, Galatea, had the personality chip. And so it sounds like intelligence was was a sort of base thing, was like the raw thing that they started with. And then the personality one was was something that you could place in or put in place of that almost to allow them to act in a certain way. But it's still based on specific parameters as opposed to the open endedness of the intelligence where you the human didn't have as much control over the robot. And that was always Andrew's whole whole entire process throughout the movie was experiencing everything through that chip, not something set programming of, of a specific type of personality, but he was actually able to develop the personality over time. And so it, it sounded like Galatea kind of switched over from the personality chip to the intelligence. And, and through that, Rupert had a lot less control of her. And we saw it in that scene, which is so fucking funny that she that she freaks out on him, basically. And and uh, so it, it just goes to show that the humans still desired a lot of control with the robots and there was still very much an unwillingness and we saw it in many of the characters to relinquish that control and ultimately you know that control had to be relinquished in order to for the robot to experience its full potential and then even even beyond that andrew had a let go of of the last thing that he kind of had that separated him from humans being his immortality and and the uncertainty that comes with the reality of mortality and not knowing when that's going to come. So having to live every day unsure of whether or not tomorrow's going to be a thing that you experience. And Andrew actually says that at his last presentation to the world council, that I would rather die a man than live forever as a machine. And it's because as a human, he's connected to everyone as an immortal machine. He's alone isolated with nothing but concepts right it was that bridge from where he was to where he ended up that was the beauty of his journey right both ends because they're both important from what you develop through to what you develop into right it's the whole journey and that's why i really enjoyed this movie because it's really a chance to see our own journey but stretched out over 200 years and many other generations and so it's such a clear picture of the reality of immortality. And I'm really glad that you enjoyed it, Andrew. I'm excited for you to share that with your friends and have more of these conversations about this movie. Because as I said, I saw that movie 20 years ago and it has stuck with me ever since. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It was really 
pretty funny that his name was Andrew throughout it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing was incredible and it really makes me wonder overall what it means to be human and all of the things that we resist about this experience are actually inherently necessary to have this experience. All of the, you know, the lows that we go through, the quote unquote negative emotions that we experience are very much necessary in order to experience everything else. You can't have your preference of the the perfect way. And I think it just went to show that that preference is cold and and empty, only getting what you want all the time. How long would you really want to experience that before you start mixing in some uncertainty and some other ends of the spectrum to be able to experience all of the emotions, the entire emotional spectrum. So yeah, it's a, it's a fucking awesome movie. I'm glad we, we covered it this week and uh, yeah, I mean, excited to watch it again because there was still probably a lot that I'd pick up on second, third time around. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to give one quick last shout out to M. Beth Davids, who played both Little Miss and Portia in this movie. Both characters, although similar, were very different and very endearing. It's very difficult to actually differentiate that it's the same actor sometimes because she does such a good job portraying both characters. And in my opinion, she really did make this movie in so many ways because she is so endearing and because her performance was so genuine. Like it, the moments where she was talking to Andrew, for example, fantastic chemistry. It was very difficult to not feel like they were in love. And so to anybody who's never seen her in a movie before, I also know that she was in Army of Darkness as another character, which is one of my other favorite movies, but it's not nearly as insightful and her performance isn't nearly as dramatic, but I just wanted to throw that in there. So to M. Beth Davids, fantastic. Thank you so much for making this movie. We're going to end this episode here. Thank you for joining us. Do tune in next week for our next movie review. We don't know what it'll be yet, but if you follow along this week through the episodes of Dualistic Unity Raw, you will likely find out. Looking forward to it. Bye, everyone.